Good morning, family. How are you all doing? Oh, come on. It's Pentecost Day, so there has to be a little bit more Sunday. So there has to be a little bit more happiness and joy. It's so great to be together today and to just see all your beautiful faces and to share the word with you. Last week, we started our series on stewardship. Are you ready for more? And uh, there's few of you. That's fantastic. Can I ask that again? Are you ready for more? Come on. And today we want to take it further and we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks just some of the practical aspects of stewardship. So you can be very glad you're here today in church because today we're going to talk about money. Okay, not so many excited people. I know if you're here the first time in this church, then you'll probably go, typical charismatic church, they always talk about money. Now, if you've come here more regularly, you'll know that's not the case. But uh, money is such an important part and how we steward our financial resources is such an important and very real and practical part of what it means to be a steward in God's kingdom. But before we talk about that, let me just remind you and just perhaps for those of you that weren't here with us last week, we're talking about stewardship and we're understanding that stewardship means God owns, I manage. God is the owner, I am the caretaker. That everything, as the scripture says, belong to the Lord. Belongs to the Lord. Not just my money. I belong to the Lord. Do you believe that you belong to the Lord? Do you believe that your body belongs to the Lord? Your mind belongs to the Lord. Your abilities belong to the Lord. Your talents, your gifts, your strengths belong to the Lord. Your resources belong to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. To the Lord. That is the DNA of what it means to be a steward, is to understand that. That becomes part of your life, part of your DNA, part of the way you function, is you learn to grow and be comfortable in a world where you are not the owner, God is the owner, and where you actually find freedom in that, that God owns, and I get to manage what belongs to Him. Now, last week we said it's a very challenging thought to think that I don't own, because I think for us as human beings, so much of our joy and even our sense of freedom is tied up to this feeling of that I'm the owner. I'm the owner of my body and I can do with it as I please. I'm the owner of my finances. I'm the owner of my talents and my gifts. I'm the owner of my purpose in life. And we we so easily approach it from that perspective and we want to self-actualize and self-realize and become who we are meant to be because that's what gives us joy and freedom. But here comes this biblical message that says, no, no, God owns. Perhaps we'll talk about it later a little bit more, but even family. My family doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. Such challenging thoughts. But perhaps to help, it, help us just be a little bit more excited about that idea and to understand how amazing that thought is, is just to put it like this. You see, if I own, then God manages And so often we can live in that relationship where it's mine and God's role is to help me be the better, best I can be. God's role is to support me, finance me, bless me, make me live out my purpose and my dreams. The the problem with that way is then you reduce God to you. Then you're basically saying the resources we've got is what I have. My intelligence, my gifts, my, my financial well-being, my property, my, my strengths, everything, that's what we have to work with. And now God's going to help me manage that. 
And that inevitably leads to living life that is quite small, actually. Whereas, if God owns, then suddenly we're talking about a whole different set of resources. How many of you know the scripture says the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him? The thousand hills also belong to him. In fact, all the cattle belongs to him. How many of you know that everything belongs to him? So if I give him the ownership and I say, Lord, now I want to manage what you own, then suddenly my life becomes so much bigger. There's so much more available to me. And it's actually in that that freedom is presented to me as a life experience. Because no longer am I determined by the things, the resources, but God determines my life. And that's the wonderful things. Last week we spoke about Joseph's life that we see in so many people is how they were able to live these amazing lives. And even today we see people that live these phenomenal lives because they're not reducing God to them. They are stepping into what is available through God by saying, I release. It's not about me, it's about him. And that's the DNA that we want to apply in our finances today. And I want to read for you 1 Peter 4 verse 10. Each of you, each of you, each of us, should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's the heart of a steward, the DNA of a steward. is everything I've been given for a purpose, and that's to serve God with it. And that includes my finances. Now, the angle I want to take with talking about money, because it's a sensitive subject and I, you know, I don't want to offend anybody or upset anybody, but I'm going to talk quite straight because I want to talk about Natasha and my and our journey and our life with finances and um, how we've learned and grown and how this has become such a, an amazing place in our own lives where we can so often refer to about God's goodness for us. And what we've learned over years with him, and I've been serving the Lord for about 40 years now, Natasha a little bit less than that, and together we've almost served the Lord for 30 years together. And uh, we've been journeying these things and trying to really have live lives of good stewardship included in that is our finances. And so I want to tell a little bit of our story, and, and she's going to join me just now, and we're going to just share with you a little bit of our experience in this. Now this is a very important thing for us. Because we both started at quite a disadvantaged position financially. We both came from families that through just the enemy's attacks and life that happens, that struggled financially. And by the time we left home, both of us were sort of sent into the world and our, fam our families couldn't look after us financially anymore. My uh, father passed away just before I turned 18 in my matric final exam actually, uh, when I was just 17. And uh, he had a little bit of a drinking problem. And uh, he gambled, and that led to the fact that we actually lost our house just a while before he died. Lost our car, lost just everything we had. And uh, so when he died, my mom, who worked for, uh, had a government position, basically had these two boys. I was 17, and my brother was about 13, and had to restart life. Dad left us with nothing other than a bit of debt, and uh, we had to, she had to restart completely. 
And so by the time I came here in 1989 to come and do the year of your life, she said to me, look, I, I cannot pay for your studies. I cannot, I cannot even afford to give you pocket money. And um, so we had to, I had to step out. Natasha was in a very similar position that uh, she left home, grew up in Rustenburg area, left home, moved to Pretoria and to come and study at Hatfield Training Center. She started with night school in 1989. I started with Year of Your Life. I think if I remember correctly, she came here with 200 rand in her pocket and just followed what God was saying. And her family couldn't support her. They couldn't look after her. So we both came into just our lives, our sort of beginnings of our adulthood without any financial means and support. We had people that were good to us and kind to us, but we didn't have consistent things that we could rely on. But both of us, even before we knew each other, had this in common that we both decided that we are not going to live and let money determine our lives. We both had a sense of the call of God in our lives and we both felt, Lord, we're going to serve you. And we both felt a calling into vocational ministry. And for both of us, that meant, Lord, if I never earn a cent in my life, that's fine. We're not going to make our decisions and we've never made our big decisions in life about finances. Obviously, financial considerations are taken, but we've always said, Lord, if this is what you're saying, we're going to do it. And sometimes at the cost of our financial well-being, we've done, made decisions. But right from the word go, we had this separately in common before we knew each other that this was our life. Calling is to serve the Lord and we're not going to let money and lack of money ever determine you know, for us that we cannot do that. We also had something else that we had in common and that was a desire that we would steward whatever we were given to the Lord's glory and to his honor. If it wasn't money, then our time, our energy, our lives would be used to, to honor him and to serve him. Now, we didn't always get it right. We weren't always perfect in it. We had to learn a lot along the way and change and make many different decisions and bump our heads from time to time. But that's was sort of the, the underlying feeling in our hearts. And then we met each other and in 1992 we got married. And so this new little family started without, my, uh, without money, my salary, I was a, uh, what I used to call a stupid pastor, a student pastor at the training center those days, and uh, we earned a whopping 400 rand a month. And uh, that was our income, and um, so we got married. I don't know how her dad actually agreed to saying yes, that I could marry her, because he knew this was my income, and I said to him, look, and you must understand this, it's not a great likelihood that I, I may never earn more than that. This might be the top of my earning potential. And, uh, and somehow he still said yes. We were watching the Olympic Games at the time, the 92 Barcelona Games. I think he was distracted. And uh, so he didn't quite think of what he was doing, but he said yes. And we got married, and uh, so our journey began with this passion to serve the Lord, but also to be responsible to say we were not going to let money become a problem in our lives and end in a certain situation. I want to ask Natasha to join me quickly. We can have this mic on. As our journey started, why don't you give her a round of applause? She looks so lovely this morning. As our journey started, we started discovering that we were thinking about stewardship and coming at it from two different angles. And um, I had a certain bent and a certain sensitivity towards matters of stewardship, and hers was quite the opposite. My bent or my, my sort of inclination, the, the, my knee-jerk reaction when it comes to things of stewardship was to always think about how. That was the big question in my mind. When something had to be done, the first thing I wanted to know is how. 
How are we going to do this? How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to sustain it? How are we going to, how are we going to do this? Dasha, on the other hand, how was not so important for her? She can tell a little bit what was more important for her. Well, for me, more important was why. I'm a why. I was that little girl in the closet said, why, why, why? Uh-huh to the teacher all the time. So when it gets to finances, or if I feel that there's a need um, in the house or the boys had a need, or even before we had children, if I, if I thought that maybe we needed, you know, new curtains, I was just, why? Why we need new curtains? Not how are we going to do that? So you can imagine that that caused a little bit of friction between That's us. That's an understatement. Every now and then. Every now and then we would square each other up and we would have nice arguments about, and I would say, how? How are we going to do this? And she says, how doesn't matter, it's why. If we believe it's right, then we must do it. The how will take care of itself. And I say, no, 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 the how doesn't take care of itself. We need to answer those questions. I was a woman of faith always. Yeah, so she, <laughs> she you know, and, but... That was my sensitivity, and still today is my sensitivity. So our journey was a lot about learning how do we work together and partner with each other so that we can be together partnering with the Lord. And uh, perhaps Natasha can tell a little bit about how she had to learn to live with a faithless man like me, you know, that was always concerned about the how. No, no, I've learned early on that Louis is really good with money, and he's really good administratively, and I'm really not that good with it. You know, if, I, if God said something or whatever, you know, we just go out, we make more money, or we, I'll start a little small business on the side, and, you know, I just needed the why. I didn't need the how at all. Um, that, for me, money was a means to an end. Hey, girls, it's a means to an end. We, we, that's just the way I thought about it. But then I've learned to really respect Louis with that, um, that he's really good with money, and... Um, So, and also the way he thinks, you know, um, I should have learned earlier on in my life that I I needed to study a degree in psychology that might have helped me in menhood and childrenhood. But so what, what I had to learn is, you know, I would sit and I would think, okay, this is why we need to do it. But now how does Louis think? How does he think? How? So I would do a PowerPoint presentation of why we need curtains. And in this presentation, um, I would have to think of how are we going to do it. This is my proposal of how we can do it. You know, and I had all these little ways of thinking how I'm going to convince him that this is why we need it, but this is also how we need it. So my computer skills needed to take a step up. I also had to learn that often the Lord would speak to her about why we needed to do things. And I had to learn to respect and listen to that and say, you know, I'm going to hear what she's saying and not just go, we can't do it. And um, I also, what I really appreciate about Natasha is she never made me feel like it's my burden to bear our household finances. It was always the two of us. And when she felt that something needed to be done, she was really very ready and often did it. She would start a small business, like she said, or she would go work extra work or do something to help pay for that. And that we would often, there were times that I didn't earn an income, 
I only started having a salary when I was about 30 years old that I only start earning a regular salary. But before that, she would often go and just work and find ways. And even today, she'll, she'll go and make money in some way. She's really good at doing that and, and help with the, the how. But I really appreciated that she didn't, you know, she wasn't just that person that her job's to spend and my job's to pay, you know, pick and pay. I pay and not, she picks. Not then. <laughs> not then, but you know, there's still lots of time. <laughs> so I really appreciated that about her. But it was only as we really learned how to work together that uh, we were able to, to find a unity in that and for the Lord to do more in our lives than what we thought. I think of an example this week. Earlier this week, she said to me, uh, we need some winter sheets for the boys. The time's coming, it's cold, they don't have, and we need to buy them some winter sheets. Now, the first thought in my mind, honestly, was we don't have the money for it. I can't afford to buy winter sheets. It's always the first thought in my mind. But I've learned by now, it wasn't the first thing that came out of my mouth. I said, yes, dear. <laughs> yes, dear. Men, how many of you have been... You anything. You just had this... How many men have been long married long enough that you know, yes, dear, the most important words you... So I just said, yes, dear, and then I little a short prayer to the Lord, Lord, you help me. And um, so Thursday, I got a message, an SMS from one of our retail stores, big retail companies, that were saying they're having a 40% off sale on all their winter bedding. So I was like, fantastic. So... I went to the store and bought all of us winter sheets. And I paid like a hundred rand for a fitted sheet, winter sheet. So I feel like fantastic because I got a bargain. That always excites me. Plus, I did what she said. And the Lord provided. And we're now going to sleep nice and warm this winter. So. <laughs> I still want to marry him again. <laughs> Thank you very much. So when it comes to good stewardship, it's all about partnership. It's partnering with God and as families partnering with each other in God. Now I know some of you are single. Some of you are in a situation where perhaps you're married but you cannot in that way. Like my dad, my mom couldn't partner with him in that way. It was always a struggle for us. I understand that. But you can partner with God. And you can have other people in your lives that can pray for you, can help you, can partner with you in many different ways. But it's this DNA, this heart of a steward, really becomes easy, and it becomes easy to work with others when you don't own. When my identity is not wrapped up in what I own. Materialism doesn't have a right in my life beyond what it should be. Like Natasha says, it's a means to an end. Because of my situation where I grew up, I had quite a fear around finances when we started in our marriage, and when I started having being responsible for budgets in ministry. I struggled because... I had such a fear of failure. My identity was so caught up in it. But over time, we've had to put some good practices in place in our life to help us journey along the roads of stewardship. And I want to share with you just four principles and how we've applied these four principles in our life as a family. These are not perfect. Yours may be a little different. But if you don't mind, I'm going to share them with you. And uh, they're quite straightforward. They're not rocket science. And if you get challenged by it, please know that it comes from a heart of love. I really just want you to do well and be at a place where you experience God's blessing. But these are the four principles that I think good stewards do regularly. Good stewards give, good stewards save, good stewards manage, and good stewards plan. Those are the four simple things that I want to put before you today 
that becomes disciplines and habits in our lives, that if we consistently stay with these four things, God will lead us to a place of financial wellness. And these four principles you can apply to any area of your life, but we're talking money today. If you apply these, they will lead you, even doesn't matter where you are now, they will lead you to a place of wellness and of God's abundance and for whatever that means and whatever it looks like. So the first thing I think it's important to start with is give. Give. Because the heart of a steward is a heart that gives. You cannot say everything belongs to the Lord, but you hold on to it that you squeeze Mr. Mandela till the tears come out of his eyes. <laughs> you know, you hold that 50 rand, man. Nobody's going to take this from you. No, we give. You see, we, when we say everything belongs to the Lord, we've already adopted a position where I've given everything to him. So we give. How does good stewards, Christian stewards, practice giving? I think there's three steps or three components, not steps, three components that I want to put before you. The first one is good Christian stewards tithe. Ooh, quiet. Tithe. Now I know, there's many theories and thoughts and talks about the law and not the law and should we and shouldn't we and that's all I say. All I want to say is, I've been tithing for about 40 years now. And I believe in it from, because I believe it's what the scripture teaches. I believe it's not the law. It was done before the law when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. It was done after the law when Jesus reaffirmed it with the Pharisees. I think the scripture is full of this principle. And the principle of tithing comes out of the principle of first fruits. In Proverbs 3 verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. The, you see, this is what it is about to me. Everything belongs to the Lord. So every saint that I have belongs to him. It's his. But now he partners with me. He wants me to live life for him. Doesn't, that doesn't mean I give 100% of my money to the Lord and then I, you know, I need other people to support me. That's not the idea. But everything belongs to the Lord. The first thing I do to put that in place, to put the cornerstone, the foundation in place in my life that says everything belongs to the Lord, is I say the first 10%, my first fruits, goes to the Lord. You come first in my finances, Lord. Everything I have is because of you. Everything I have is by your grace and by your favor and your goodness. And I give you this 10%. I have no say over it. I have no control over it. I don't have anything to do with it. I give it to you. Not the last fruits, the, left, the little bit that's left at the end of the month. If anything's left, then I'll consider whether I will tithe. If you do that, I can promise you now you're never going to tithe. The first fruits. On our budget as a family, it's the first line item that goes off tithe. The first thing I do. And I've done that, like I said, now for 40 years. Not just on my salary. Any income we get as a family, we tithe off of it. In preparation for this sermon this week, I remembered by the Spirit of God that there is a tithe outstanding. That I didn't, money I got, I didn't tithe on it. So I quickly paid the tithe so that I don't come stand here and, you know, <laughs> lightning bolts lie to you or whatever. But I firmly believe in it because it puts that thing secure in my heart and in my life. God comes first. Then the fantastic thing is there's 90% left over, which still belongs to the Lord. 
It's still not mine to do with what as I please. But it's the 90% God and I work with together to spend and to allocate as our calling and life requires. We are parents of children, so that requires certain things. We believe God's called us to do certain things. And that, we partner with God in everything. But the first thing we give is tithe. I believe your tithe belongs to your local church. Scripture says tithe to the storehouse. The place from where you withdraw is the place where your tithe goes to. The place that supports you, the place that enables you, that strengthens you, that helps you in your calling with the Lord, that is there for you, that feeds you, that encourages you, that strengthens you, that sends you, that is the place where the tithe goes to. I think tithing is a fantastic biblical mechanism because it's money that I give to God and I say, Lord, I give it to to you through the church. Because, you know, you can try and throw up your tithe in the air and then say, Lord, whatever you want, keep and the rest I'll, uh, I'll just use. No, we give through our local church. It's the way that we say, Lord, this is, I'm giving to you. And when I give it, I release it to the Lord. I I don't have a say over what gets done with it because it's something I give. But it's also a fantastic way in a local church which binds us together as a community. And it equalizes us in a sense. Because God's expectation on all of us is that we give 10%. It's not an amount. This is not a club that you belong to and there's a fee that you have to pay every month. It's not an amount. There's no amount in the scripture that says this is the minimum. It says give 10%. And this is an amazing thing. To do this that we do on a Sunday costs money. Our equipment, millions of rands. This building. I mean, if we, had to, we couldn't build this today if we... But aren't we thankful for saints that tithed and gave in the 80s? So that you and I can sit here today in this wonderful building and in how many thousands of people do you think have gone through this building and been ministered to by God from all nations from all over the world? It was paid for by the tithes and the contributions of people. This is a kingdom venue. But it costs money to do this, to keep the lights on. I think our salary bill, Ben's not here, but I don't know if Andy's, Andy's outside with the children. I think it's around 40,000 rand a month just to keep the lights on. Costs money. And you see, none of us can do this on our own, but together we do this. Imagine if we had a process where we said to you, okay, you've got to come to church, but there's entrance to be paid at the door. So if you want to sit in front, it's 250 rand a ticket. You can sit in the middle sections, it's about a, you know, 150 rand, the balcony, 500 rand. These, these seats behind the pillars, they're like cheap seats, man. You can get them for like 50 bucks on a Sunday. Imagine if we had to do that. But we don't have to. You can come here to church this morning and be a visitor out of town. And we're so grateful that you're with us. We welcome you. You don't have to be concerned about paying for all of this. Because a community comes together 
and does it. Not only in terms of our building, but our missions, our work that we do. I remember when we did the Come On In survey last year, you said the second thing that you most appreciate about this church is how it's involved and served in the community and makes a difference beyond itself. Do you know how many churches in this city was built by the people of this church that gave, that built buildings around in our city? How many people get ministered to, served in so many different ways that we can make a difference in our community? It all costs money, and it's because people tithe, firstly. Because the tithing creates the structure for us to do it. You know, even when you give money to Faith Promise, there's a lot of that we supply from the church's side to pay for the expenses of ministries and missionaries and everything so that that doesn't have to come from Faith Promise money. Faith Promise pays most of it, but there's things like we pay for the audit of the finances. They, those companies don't have to pay for it. We provide certain things. And that's what we do together. Now your 1,000 rand or 500 rand or 100 rand or 50 rand that you give in a month, if you give it every month, that cannot help a family that's going through a divorce with a divorce care program. That money cannot feed a family that's in need of food. That family cannot help a person that's being abused. Give them the, that, that money cannot help on its own, help somebody understand their calling and get trained and, and minister to that. That money on its own cannot reach people in the inner city. Your thousand rand on its own cannot do all of that. But all of us together giving, suddenly we start having an impact over generations that this church has had an impact and will continue to have an impact because we together put our money before the Lord. Now, I, I talk about this freely because first of all, my salary does not get determined by your tithe. There's an independent body in this church that determines how much I get paid. That's got people that doesn't work here and they say, so if you give more, I don't get paid more. So I've got no vested interest in that other than I believe in what this church does. I've been privileged to be part of this church for 40 years. I believe in this church. I believe in the programs we have. We're not perfect in everything we do. But just this week on Wednesday, we had our AGM where our books were open, audited books. We don't have to have our books audited according to the law, but we do it. We have an external auditors that we pay for so that any person in the congregation could come and say, these are the books. This is what we spend money on. We open, we report on it. There's no funny business going on. I've learned from this church how to honor God with the way you treat money. And I can honestly say that, and I feel no shame to ask, to say, give your tithe. If this is your church, give your... If this is not your church, then find a church and give your tithe to them. If you come to a church and you say, but I don't want to give my money to that church that I go to every week, there's a disconnect there somewhere. If you can trust them with your heart, but you cannot trust them with your money, which one's more important for you? You all in. And I want to encourage you. The more people tithe in this church and follow through on that principle, the more we can serve the king. It's as simple as that. Now you'll also know in this church, nobody checks up on you if you tithe. Nobody will phone you. It's highly voluntary. We don't keep a record of who tithes. I know of a part of the world, it's the common practice in the Christian churches that they paste on the door of the church people's tithes and how much they gave every month. <laughs> Christian people. We don't do that. Because it's not about amounts. 
It's about your heart. So we don't chase after you. We don't treat anybody different because they dress nicer or don't. We're all together in the kingdom of God. Therefore, again, I have confidence to ask you because you could be the biggest tither in this church. I won't know. I don't know what people tithe. We don't check up on that. But we believe in it. I want to encourage you, if you've never tithed, or perhaps you've stopped tithing, start. Even if you start with 1% of the 10%, 10% of the 10%, which is 1%, begin and trust the Lord. I mean, doesn't the scripture say, test me in this? Test. It's been, my, it's been our journey, Natasha and I, we can t- testify. We've tested the Lord, and we have definitely won. We've not become poorer, we've become much better off because of our tithing and our belief in that. So that's the first way a good steward gives. The second way is they give through offerings. They give to their local church and they give to programs and processes in the local church. Like Faith Promise, it comes, it's not out of the tithe. You don't tithe your Faith Promise. Your Faith Promise is an extra offering that we all trust the Lord for and that we give. And we sometimes give towards other things. When we have building programs, we ask you, offerings are the buff that you give as you feel the Lord leads you. And as a church, in the 40 years that I've been in this church, you may have felt differently, but I've never felt pressurized to do anything. I've appreciated people putting before me the needs and then saying to me, pray about it. But nobody's ever pressurized me to do anything. We don't take up, you know, emotional pleas and all of that stuff. We just say, this is what God's saying. If you agree with us, won't you walk with us? Partner with us. And then the last thing is we give alms to the poor. So we give through tithing, we give through offerings, and we give alms to the poor. Scripture is clear. In Proverbs it says, he who lends... He, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. You see, we understand as Christians that there are people in our society today that are poor and no matter how hard they work, they will always be poor. It's a harsh reality. But we have systemic poverty because our world's financial system is broken. I mean, I work hard, but... I have the opportunity for my work to be to create financial momentum. There's some people that work much harder than I do. I think of these guys that clean the that come and do the rubbish collection. We live in the area in our street, it's the main road that leads towards the depot where they bring all the recycled stuff that they gather from people's houses. So we see them a lot. Three o'clock in the morning, it's like a noise in our street because they're dispersing. And all day long they go and they dig. And I've, we've spoken to some of them. Most of them do it for 50 rand a day. They'll start at 3 o'clock in the morning and they'll end at 6 or 7 o'clock at night to get 50 rand together so that they can feed them families. Those people work hard. But the challenge is no matter how hard they work, they'll never get out of that cycle of poverty unless God does something for them. And often God does something for them through somebody. So just what we've done, for instance, in our family is what I do is I've, when I see them and they're outside of our house, I know they're a nuisance to some people. Some people, they dirty your grass. and For some people, they're obstacles in the road. But I made a decision and I said, when I see them, I will look them in the eye and greet them and say to them, how are you doing? So the ones that are in our area as often as I can. We separate our own garbage. I ask them, what do you want? 
plastic bottles, cardboard boxes, things like that. We separate it so they don't have to dig in our garbage. Put it on top for for them. Sometimes we'll put books, clothes, whatever extra we can we put. And I'm not saying that's going to change their lives. There's other ways that we help. We're involved with a crash down the, in, in the area where most of them live. We have about 70 kids that we help to get good education so that they can hopefully try and break the poverty cycle in that way. But we give. We give. Give in ways that help people not make it worse for them. Because sometimes, and that's also a great way to partner with your local church and the ministries that we run. Because those people know and they can take your 50 rand and add it with a lot of other 50 rands and really help somebody. And not give money to people that it actually makes their lives worse. Because you're just enabling their bad habits. But really supporting them. But we give. Because that's the world we live in. So first of all, good stewards give. The Luke 6 verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The second thing a good steward does is they save. Good Christian stewards save. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, Paul writes and he says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, as he may prosper so that there will be no collection when I come. The principle of saving begins by limiting our spending. You can only save when you limit your spending. I've said this before, and you may have heard me say this. There's one surefire way to move towards financial wellness that every single person on this planet can do. Spend less than you earn. If you spend less than you earn, you are on your way to financial wellness. Being better off than you were yesterday. There's one sure why fire way to get into financial ruin. Spend more than you earn. Because then tomorrow you have less than what you had yesterday. And if you keep either of those going long enough, that becomes your financial condition. And saving is a fantastic way to immediately put a limitation on what you spend. We all want to spend and we are those kinds of people. And there's different things that drive us in life and security issues and you know, feeling secure and important and, and identity and all sorts of things. But it's fantastic if you can put a limit on yourself and say, this is how much money I have. I've given my tithe. And then they say, if you can afford to save 10% of your income and start putting that away. So that you can do the things that you believe is right for you to do and opportunities that God has for you. You see, when you start spending your money and you start doing things like going on holidays, buying nice clothes, fancy cars, eating out at fancy restaurants with money that you don't have, you're in trouble. Perhaps not today, but you're heading towards trouble. Luxury items are things we save for. If you want to go on a holiday, plan for it. Start saving now. Next year we want to go on a holiday. I'm saving for it. Do not put it on your credit card and then say I'll pay for it later. Because then you're paying 22% more if you're keeping up with your payments than you would have on average about. Plus it's just not... We've seen it as a family. We've always done that. We, we don't do luxury items out of, on credit. We always save. And I can tell you time after time, when we save, how God adds to our finances. He blesses us. 
A number of years ago, in 2011, we, we trusted the Lord to go to, on, to the States, to go to Disney World as a family. I was graduating in the States from my master's, and family wanted to come with. We trusted the Lord, and we knew we were going to pay off our house, and then we would be able to have some money that we could put towards it. But we didn't have enough money, but we saved, and we trusted the Lord. Somebody heard about it, and three years before we went, I shared it someplace as a dream that we had. Somebody took out an uh, uh, investment scheme and saved and it was their money that they gave to us just when we started saying we were actually going to think, really think we're going to do this. They gave us this money and said, we want you to go. I believe as a family, we need to go on holiday every year and we plan for it. But a family of six, it's difficult, man. It's expensive to go on holidays. Family of six, there's hardly any, there's no places we can afford. But we said, okay, we need to go on holiday, so now we camp. Pay about 600 rand a night. I can afford that. But we will not put ourselves in a hole because of things we want. Save for it. Save for future things. Develop the discipline. And we're trying to teach our children the same thing. I want to get moving on. Manage is the third one. So we give, we save as good stewards. We also manage as good stewards. We control our expenses so that they don't exceed our outcome, our income, sorry, through things like budgets. As a family, we've always done this from when it was no money in a month, we started a budget. When it was a faith budget, this is what we trust in God for every month, to come in so that we could live. Like I said, I only started earning a salary when I was about 30. I don't think it's good financial practice to not know what you're spending your money on. You should have a good idea all the time how much money you have, what you're spending your money on. And we live in a time where it's very easy to do that. It's a fantastic free in, uh, tools available for us that we can plan our money. I, we put our budget together and everything we spend our money is on a budget. It's allocated funds for it. And as we spend it, I deduct it. Make sure that I'm always fully aware of how much we've spent. Because you know what it's like you go take your card, your bank card, and you go buy bread and milk. And for our family, bread and milk's like 300 rand. And we bought bread and milk because these children you know, get off from the table and go eat bread. And um, we bought bread and milk. And then you check your bank balance and you go, oh, I've still got 500 rand left. But the bank takes a day or two before it takes that 300 rand off, doesn't it? So then I go, oh, I've got 400 rand to spend. And then suddenly 300 and 400 comes back. Now I'm minus 200 because I didn't keep track. Remember the good old days of the checkbook with a little counter leaf that you wrote in? Credit cards don't do that. You just, laga. Shasha, baby, shasha. Just, hoi, hoi, hoi. Hey, Pastor H. <laughs> shasha, baby. Laka. <laughs> but I believe, I've seen it. It's been the thing that has kept us is we keep our budget and we stick to it. If we didn't plan for it, we don't do it until we make another plan, but we always work with a plan. And the more we've done it over the years, the more it's helped us create a momentum. Good management allows momentum towards wellness, financial wellness, bad management towards financial ruin. Because if you don't keep an eye on what's happening in your accounts, this month you made it to the 20th and you got paid the 25th. Next month you make it to the 15th. Next month, you make it to the 10th. Hey? Come on, we've all experienced that. 
the, the reality is this. What we do today is leading us somewhere. What I'm doing today is leading, can lead me to financial wellness. Or what I'm doing today can lead me to financial ruin. The difference between the two, however, is this. To walk towards financial wellness is a million little steps all the time. To walk towards financial ruin, it's a three, four step process. And you can get there very quickly. It's much harder to walk the discipline. And that's why we keep it, we keep it before ourselves. The last one is plan. We plan for our short, medium, and long-term goals. And the scripture says, Proverbs 21 verse 5, The plans of the diligent lead, lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. We plan for what we want in the future. And playing the lottery is not a plan. <laughs> Going to Times Square is not a plan. Trusting for your ship to come in is not a plan. A plan is, what am I doing to invest today for what I want to achieve tomorrow? It's making use of good financial principles. When we were just married and we didn't earn an income, I was working at a church and it was my responsibility to pay the salaries and the church never had enough money to pay the salaries. So I would always be the last one because I was responsible. So I made sure that everybody else had some money and then most of the months it meant I got nothing. But we made a decision, Natasha and I, we said we're going to trust the Lord to invest now because we want to buy a house one day. We weren't earning a steady income. So we signed a debit order on my account for 300 rand a month. We would have to pray before that time of the month, you know, the 31st, or I think perhaps we gave ourselves to the 7th or something. And we, we had to pray, Lord, let there be 300 rand in the account. And for five years, that money, we never missed a payment. God provided for us every month so that we could save. And that money we used as a deposit towards our first house because we saved, we planned for it. When Natasha, when our eldest was born, when Ethan was born, she took out a little investment plan and she put away for the last 21 years, she put money aside every month so that it could help us because we, we realized at 21 years, they're going to be both studying. Probably we're going to have challenges. So last year we realized we needed to buy a car. And we remembered about that plan and we went to go and look up and found out how much money we have and then we started looking for what kind of car should we buy and I did research about what is the best small cars, little tiny cars to buy that's affordable and good manageable and all of that. We found the car, a little car and we, we, said, and we started praying. We said, Lord, this is the car we believe we should buy. But I said to the Lord, I don't have time to go kicking via, you know, car tires and look at cars and you know, run around all over the country. I don't have time to do that. So Lord, can you please let the car come to me? <laughs> you know? So January came and varsity was going to start soon. And the Lord had, so I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, is this one of those situations where you're waiting for me and I'm waiting for you? Can we just clarify expectations here? Am I supposed to be doing something? And, you know, and then the Lord just, as we prayed about it, said to us, no, just wait. That week, friends of ours sent me a message of friends of theirs whose friends, so three steps away from us, is selling the exact car we want. A 2014 model with only 30,000 kilometers on the clock. For the money that we have. You know, then you go, okay, Lord, 
I didn't have to pray about this, and we bought the car. But it began 21 years ago, the miracle began, of every month being able to put that money aside. And I want to encourage you, plan. We plan, good Christian financial stewards plan for their children's education. They plan for their old age. They plan for their health care. They plan. Now, you, can, you may not have enough, but that's not the issue. God has more than enough. If you put what you can do, God does what he can do. That's the deal with partnership in stewardship. When I say, Lord, this is how I, what I'm trusting you for, then God says, okay. You know, we do it with our children all the time. Every rand they save, we'll put a rand in. God says, every rand you save, I'll put 10 in. Sounds like a great deal to me. And that's just been our story. Now, I'm, I'm finished. Worship team, you guys can join me. But I want to say this to you. I want to encourage you to go read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I wanted to say about it, but time's gone. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul writes to the churches of the day, and they're taking up a special offering because the church in Jerusalem is going through famine and persecution. They don't have money. They need help. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul brags on the Macedonians, the poorest church community they had in the Gentile church at the time. They just heard about this need. They immediately gave, and they gave much more than they actually had. They gave at their own expense, immediately. In 2 Corinthians 9, he talks to the Corinthians, and he says, will you please follow through on the promise you made? They see, they heard about the need, and they said, we'll also give. And they were one of the most wealthiest church communities. But Paul had to send a couple of people to remind them. He eventually had to beg them. He had to encourage them. He had to really get in their face and say, you promised, now follow through with it. I want to encourage us, let's not be Corinthian Christians, but let's be Macedonian Christians. Let's be those that say, Lord, everything I have belongs to you. And I trust you. And through good stewardship, we can continue to play our part in building the kingdom of God in our day and in our time. In our own lives, in our families, in our businesses, as a church, everywhere we go, we can build God's kingdom. Won't you stand with me? Now, my idea was not to give anybody Paxla this morning or a hiding. Because I see some faces like, oh, I'm not coming to church again. That's really not the idea. All I want to do is encourage you. You may be in a deep hole financially at the moment, but you can come out of it. We can pray for you for a breakthrough, and God can give you a breakthrough. But your breakthrough needs to be sustained by good financial stewardship. Otherwise, next year you're back and you need another breakthrough. And at some point, God says, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm not going to give you another breakthrough. Not because he's run out of money or he doesn't want to, but he's saying, I'm just enabling your bad behavior. You're not living according to my kingdom principles. We can start any day. I want to encourage you. Today, on this beautiful Pentecost Sunday that we remember, with the Spirit of God inside of each of us, you can be led by the Spirit. But you know how you can be led by the Spirit and why you can be led by the Spirit? It's because you are free. Because God owns, I manage. I don't own, I'm free. God owns. And that's an amazing relationship to be in. And the Spirit of God comes 
and speaks and enables us. Would you raise your hands with me this morning? Lord, I thank you that this is a fact that every single person here today deals with money every day. Every one of us, Lord, our money testifies as to what is really important in our lives and how we're living our lives. Our money is so real, Lord. But thank you, Father, that you are more real than our money. But it's in a great way to interact with you and to experience your goodness and your kindness. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for every person here today. I want to tear down in the spirit today, as the scripture says, every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I tear down the, the arguments that my identity is tied up in my finances. It's what I wear, it's what I have that tells me who I am. I break that argument and I reveal it as a lie today in Jesus' name. Our identity is tied in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I tear down the lie that there's not enough. There's not a job for me. There's not provision for me. That's a lie. We tear it down today, that stronghold, and we release in its place the truth that you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. That our God is sufficient. That he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That he has more than enough for every person. We tear down the lie, Lord. That God doesn't care for me. We tear down that lie. And I speak into every person's spirit here this morning. I release the truth of God. God loves you. He's your provider. I tear down the lie that says, I can't do it. I don't have the discipline. I don't have the ability to do this. I tear down that lie in Jesus' name. And I say, by the Spirit, the truth is, by the Spirit of God and the help of a community that loves you, you can have a good partnership with God. We provide courses at this church that helps you. Don't let the enemy steal from you. Lord, we thank you. I speak a release over every person here today in Jesus' name. I release them into partnership with you, Lord. Through their giving, through their saving, through their managing, and through their planning, Lord. I release them into your great grace, into your abundance, Lord. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he give you peace. May he cause you to abound for the glory and the praise of his name. May others thank God because of you and because of your generosity. May others find their way into the kingdom because of what you have given and because you have partnered with God. We love you, Lord. Everything belongs to you. May the Lord bless you as you go in this week. May he be gracious unto you and give you strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to live every day, every moment, every rand, every cent with him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Next Sunday, we're going to have Father's Day. We're going to have a special time of celebration and have a great time together. So you don't want to miss that. The dads, you're going to get a gift as you always. So please join us. If you want prayer this morning, please come. You can come for anything. Come and let us pray with you. Particularly if you want some just a breakthrough in your finances, let us pray with you. Our team will be here. They're ready to pray with you. There's baptisms happening in the uh, uh, functions hall on outside on my right. Join us for that and for visitors and the tea in the, in the ministry area. The Lord bless you.